Blessings to you, my friend. This is Pastor McGee with Empowerment Ministries Christian Center, and you're listening to Empower the City Podcast. I pray today that your hearts are blessed, minds renewed, and you are infused with the passion to serve God like never before. Blessings to you, and enjoy the message. We started about two weeks ago um, talking about this idea of an unconscious in-group bias, unconscious in-group bias, and we defined in-group bias uh, We said that it's any group you identify with based on race, religion, gender, or profession. And and I I posed this, and and I said everybody, but uh, to be politically correct, I'll say most people wrestle with this unconscious in-group bias. This in-group bias is when you have a tendency to give preferential treatment to members of your in-group while withholding it from members of an out-group. So because um, I am a black man, I am an African-American man, sometimes there is a tendency, tendency within me to prefer to, to, to speak to or to be around individuals who look like me. There is a tendency for me to be around preachers who do the same thing that I, I do. But you got to be careful about in-group bias because there are three things that we've been highlighting for the past couple of weeks that this, this small thing, unconscious in-group bias, can turn into. Number one, it can turn into a form of prejudice. Number two, classism. Number three, racism. Now, here is the issue, and this is the reason that we have to highlight this thing um, in all of our hearts, is because 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given given to us, somebody shout, to me. Shout it again, to me. Have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So it is our responsibility, not just the pastor, to lead people to Jesus Christ because in all actuality, I am the under-shepherd. Do I minister to people? Do I lead people to Christ? Absolutely. But I am an under-shepherd, and if you guys are the sheep of this particular flock, of this particular house, how many know that sheep begets sheep, not shepherd begetting? So it is our, look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, he's talking about you. So it is our responsibility collectively to reach out to people, and we, we got to be careful um, because, because although this is a predominantly African-American church, God just don't want black people saved. And we're not just leaving the white people to the folk that have a predominantly white congregation. Are y'all with me in this place? So God wants all of us to minister to all people. Can you say amen to that? So this church, in in Acts chapter number 6, they are growing. It it started with just 12 disciples. It multiplied to 120 in the upper room. You have 3,000 that are converted after that, then another 5,000 after that. So this church in Jerusalem is rapidly growing, and there's something that's going on. The Bible declares in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, and and the reason I want to highlight this is because this church is, somebody shout, it's increasing. When I look at where we came from, man, this is the south location. Uh, what's that? That's 2009. So that's 10 years ago. This was the south location uh, when we first purchased the building. And um, we were meeting at the Extreme Teen Center. We had maybe a good, maybe a good 27 people in that building. And, and we moved here, and we've grown from 27. And, and, and this is where we are right now. Uh, matter of fact, it's more than 27 people in the, probably in the nursery right now. We need nursery workers. If you like babies, we need you. You ain't got to like them if you can tolerate them. <laughs> if you can just hold them, praise the Lord. Somebody shout, we've come a long way. So, so this church as well, the Bible declares, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. So there is some tension 
that's going on between these two group, groups of people, um, the Bible declares their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, understand um, the way God ministers to me when I prepare to minister to you guys. Generally, he will give me just a general thing that I'm supposed to focus on for the next couple of weeks. And um, every week he will birth a particular text in my heart. And my responsibility is to search out what that text is trying to say to me and then search it out to see what he's trying to say through me to you guys. So when I first approached this text, this was the question that came to mind. These Jews, these Hebraic Jews, are they, are they racist? Are they classist? Or are they just simply prejudiced? Because this is what's going on in the church. The, 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 the Hellenistic Jews, these Greek Jews, they're complaining that the Hebraic Jews are neglecting, overlooking their widows in the daily distribution of food. So do they have racism in their heart? Do, do they believe that they're better than the, the others? Do they have these preconceived ideas about this particular group? Have they classed them that you are here and I am there? Because that's one of the ways that you can overlook somebody is that you put them in a different class. You dehumanize them. I grew up with my daddy watching a lot of Western. Anybody like Western movies? Any, anybody? Just a couple of... What do they call the Indians in the Western movies? They call them savages. So if I dehumanize you, I don't have to treat you the same. So I'm asking myself, is, that's what, is that the thing that's going on in the text? But as I'm praying, this word jumped out at me. The word overlooked. The Hellenistic Jews among them, they complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being, somebody shall, overlooked. The word overlook, it means to fail to notice or not pay proper attention to. Now that's deep, y'all, because it's so simple. Overlook doesn't mean that I don't see you. It means that I see you, but for some reason I'm blind to the obvious needs that are sitting there. I see you, but I don't notice the needs that you have. They overlooked them, so I had to ask, would prejudice cause them to overlook? I, yes, but I don't really see a strong prejudice in the text. Is just racism there? But more than just overlook, it, it means to just simply to choose not to help. I see it, but I, I choose. Now, classism is the same thing. I see you, but I choose not to help. This is what God birthed in my heart. This is what can allow a person with good intentions to see you, but not see you. It's not racism, it's clickishness. Now this is something that I gotta deal with because this is something that I've been hearing for the past year, constant complaints about in this church. And I need you guys to hear my heart for a moment because I hear, I hear a whole bunch of complaints, I really do, but watch this, 50% of the complaints I pay no attention to. Because 50% of the complaint comes from complainers. <laughs> so as much, as much fun as we had Friday night, I'm sure it was somebody up there talking about some, look at him acting like he Bobby Brown. He ain't, he ain't no, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm sure it was somebody that was just messed up. Watch it. Couldn't have fun for the rest of the night. Look at them. So some people are complainers. But then I hear complaint from people who don't, two, two, two people, two people that get my attention. Number one, the person who usually never says something that comes to me and says, Pastor, I want you, I just want to bring this to your attention. 
The second person, and you guys don't know this, you guys don't know this, but throughout the month, I will usually have one of my, my wife, she don't even know this, I'll have one of my mentors or somebody who I esteem to come in and just sit through the service. You don't know them because we have personal ties. They're, they're, I esteem them in my eyesight, and they come in just like a regular first-time guest. And it's interesting because sometimes they sit there, and, and my wife, I ask for a first-time visitor, they won't even raise their hand. And I'm like, you know you knew. You never been here before. And then there are times they'll go through the motions and all that other kind of stuff. And after the service, usually on Monday or Tuesday, I'll talk to them on the phone and they'll be like, um, this is what I see is wrong. This is what I see you need to improve on. This is what I see you need to. And so when one of these guys come to me and he says, yeah, Greg, I do see some clickishness in your church. So when one of those guys say that, I have to pay attention and do a little bit of study. So this is what I want to do. First of all, let's put a definition to what it is to be cliquish. Clickishness is a small group of people with, somebody shout, shared interest. Shared interest or other features in common who spend time together and do not readily allow others to, to join them. Tending to form or hold exclusive groups and so not welcoming to outsiders. So I want to, I wanna, first of all, deal with the problem of the term clickishness, and then I want to deal with the dangers of being clickish. Here is the first problem with the term itself, clickishness. Whenever somebody says that a group is clickish, there's always a negative connotation that's associated with that word. I've never heard anybody say, oh, they so clickish, they good, girl. I've never heard that, but this is the reality of clickishness. It is, a vi it is vital for healthy emotional growth and professional development because what clickishness does, it provides me a safe place to lay my mess on the table, and I am okay with laying my mess on the table because I know that I can trust these guys because we have the same similar experience, same background, have gone through the same thing, and by the same token, we ain't let nobody in this group to see our mess. So am I clickish? Yes, I am clickish, and I didn't even know I was clickish until I started studying this message. My dad and I, we can be extremely cliquish. And I didn't even know it until, not just I started studying this message, but until some, something happened um, about a year ago. My dad, we've always been close, but when he got diagnosed with cancer and we started making the trip every month to uh, MD Anderson, um, the, the road trip, that four hour, depending on how I'm driving, <laughs> four and a half, three and a hour, three and a half, say again? To Houston? About seven hours. Seven hours to Houston? Well, it was a ticket that I got fixed that I never told you about. I just, it was that one time, but you, you know, just depending on how I'm driving. Y'all pray for your boy. <laughs> so that 10-hour trip to Houston, <laughs> is the table that me and my dad over the past years have shared things, and I know he has. He told me 
certain things that he shared that he's actually never told anybody. And, and that, that was like a precious, those were precious times for me and my dad. And I didn't even know how clickish it was, but because let's look at the definition of clicking, clickish. A small group of people with shared interests or with other uh, common features who spend time together, who do not readily allow others to join them, tending to form um, a whole exclusive groups and so not welcoming. I didn't know how clickish we were becoming until my wife said, I'm going to Houston with y'all next month. I said, the devil is alive. What you, ain't you got something here you could be doing? Why you got to go with us? And that girl, st I started coming up with every reason why she can't go. Well, what about the kids? Well, what about this and what about that? And she worked out all of it, and I still was trying to find stuff and didn't understand why I was even doing that. I'll tell you why, because I'm clickish. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the deal with being clickish. It was healthy for my dad, and it was healthy for me, those road trips when we could be transparent I don't have to be pastoral, I don't have to be husband, I don't have to be father, I can just be Greg and say, this is how I, I feel. And by the way, she clickish too. <laughs> oh, say, say it again, say it again. Say it in the mic, say it in the mic. I am not. How many times have you invited me to lunch when you went with Lady Fountain? Oh, say it again. You don't wanna go to lunch with me and Lady Fountain. Oh, hold on, you more than clickish. Preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. You clickish and you prejudiced. That's what you are. Say man. Yeah, absolutely. Say that again. Say that again. Right. And me and my daddy talk about you in the car. <laughs> Understand? So it's, it is, it's actually healthy. It's actually vital because I got this small group. So, so here, here are the dangers when it comes to being cliquish. Uh, danger number one is that when the group is prioritized above your personal ministry to others, should be to others outside of your group, this cliquishness now becomes dangerous where I so prioritize this relationship with my dad that now I, that I now fail to be able to proper minister to my wife because of what we have. Number two, can be limiting when your personal need exceeds the wisdom of the group. There are some things that you put on the table and you need to invite somebody in your group to deal with the mess that's just been laid on the table. And sometimes, sometimes you don't just need sympathy from the group members, you need help. But the type of help that you need might not be in the group that you trust right now. And when I see things like this, this is one of the things that irks me as a pastor. When something is going on in an individual's life and it's been going on for a while and they shared it with the group. See, watch this. I, I am I am degreed and trained as a counselor. I'm degreed and I am trained as a counselor. And there's a level of, th there is a code of ethics that we must follow if we're going to practice. 
And one of the codes of ethics is the, the, the code of being sensitive to other people's information. I can't just vent, I can't just voice. There, there are things that people have told me in the counseling room that I can, I'll have to take it to my grave. Can't preach on it, can't even act like I wanna use it in an example, can't share that with my wife because that was in the confines of, of counseling. But by the same token, there is also a part of the code of ethics that I am obligated to share certain information when they put it on the table. And there are times sometimes when you are in your group of friends, in your group of, of guys, in your group of girlfriends, and somebody puts something on the table and you know it is poison and you know you don't have the wisdom nor the strength to handle that and you do nothing. So, so, so watch this. Um, um, Ty, come here uh, for a second. Are you good on, yeah, come, come here. Um, yeah, Crockett, come here, man. Yeah. Raj, he's not here, is he? Okay. Why are you walking all cool? <laughs> Can't help it. I'm with you, dog. I'm with you. Watch this. So, these guys, this is actually a click. You know why you say nah? Because you auto automatically associate a negative perspective when I say click. But if we define what a click is, it's a small group of people with shared interest. What are their shared interests? They cook. Watch this. All three are mama's boys. Am I lying? Yeah, all right, I ain't lying. They all black. <laughs> they all, no, I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> no, no. So they have shared interests. They spend time together. And watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. Shared interests, spend time together. Hey, guys, can I be a part of BIK? Oh, see how he going to do me? <laughs> I wanted to change the name. What'd you say? I can't, Why? Because y'all a click, that's why. <laughs> Do not readily allow others to join the group. Now watch this. With this click that they have, this is healthy. This is vital for healthy emotional and professional growth. They need each other because of their common background and their common interests. They come to the, have you ever been to a restaurant or somewhere where somebody was complaining about, to you about something that they were supposed to be serving you, but they were complaining about the problems of the job? And you didn't have the power to help. You don't have no business complaining to me. I, I looked up this word term, uh, bland, because I don't know what it means. I just heard it before. And I'm just, it's like a cooking term, right? What does it mean for something to be bland? No flavor. So if you came to me and says, hey, Pastor, man, this is bland, I'd be like, wow, that's awesome, man. Praise God <laughs> for the blandness. So you sharing something with me that I have no point of reference. I literally had to look it up in Google to see what bland meant. But he has certain terms that he's going to talk about amongst this group. And not only just terms, he, there are certain pains that are associated with what they do. That when they bring it on the table, this is healthy, it's healing, it's emotional, it's professional, it's good. And if the click is good, 
they come out and they're able to not only minister better, but they're also able to receive ministry as well. Now here is how this group can be contaminated. Number one, it can be dangerous when the group is prioritized above your, your personal ministry of serving others outside of your group. So they have a ministry together, but they also have an individual ministry. And the problem is, I have some issues in my life that God has called you to minister to me. You see me, but you're overlooking the needs that I have because you make this a priority instead of your personal ministry a priority. Let's not just talk about cliques within the church. There are times when the church itself can become one clique. Well, we become this exclusive group that nobody going to heaven but us. And you ain't really on our level. Look at you. You're still in your mess, in your sin. God going to get you. You're going to hell. And it's hard to join this group. And we see the people, but we overlook the actual need. We see the sin that they're committing, but we overlook the fact that they're only using sin to medicate the pain of their past. But we can't see the past pain because we're consumed with our so it can be dangerous if the group is prioritized above your personal ministry of serving others outside of your group and it also watch this can be can be limiting when your personal need exceeds the wisdom of the group I'll give you an example um, um, my boy Tony Nestle and by the way pray pray for him um, he just lost his mother um, about a week and a half ago um, you guys, I taste your salmon. Anybody have that salmon Friday night? That was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Has anybody ever had grilled broccoli? My man makes them on the grill. I don't know how he do it without it falling into the flames. I tried and it kept falling through the... But Tony Nelson makes, in my opinion, one of the best Philly cheese steaks served with grilled onions and bell peppers. Just a dab of mayo, little mustard, little slob right here, just a little slob right here. So if if these fellows want to go into business, although they, they, they're good at what they do, they're experts in what they do, but if they want to go into business, making Philly cheesesteaks, how is it that you're going to do that without inviting somebody who's already expert into the group? So your clique can become limited because you need to bring somebody into the group that are, that's better in a particular area, and when you fail to do this, now the clique is becoming unhealthy. Can you say amen to that? Thank you, gentlemen. Can y'all give it up for brothers in B-I-T-K! Now watch this. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. So, so you have an issue of clickishness because the Hebraic Jews, they are people who speak both Aramaic and Greek. Greek is the primary language. The Hellenistic Jews are people who lived outside of Jerusalem and their primary, primary language is Greek. So to put this 
picture, this particular text in context, and I, I, want, I want one sister to do this for me. I just want one sister. If you do this for me, I'll, what I'll do, baby? $20? 40 Jesus. We got any more on Burger King gift cards? I'll give you a Burger King gift card. I know, that's, that's mine. I'm going to win that one some kind of way. If you do, the first person that does this, our first sister that does this, I'll give you a $25 Logan gift card. This is what I want you to do. The next time, this is what it feels like to experience the negative effects of clickishness. The next time you go to the nail shop, And that Vietnamese sister who takes your order and gets what you want done to your nails, your feet, petty, manny, and when she's done talking to you, she talks to her cousin, sister, friend in another language, and they bust out laughing. The next time they do that, say, what y'all talking about, girl? And after you do that, you will know what it's like to feel the negative effects of clickishness. Because number one, she's not going to tell you. And even if she do tell you something, she's going to be lying. And then she's going to talk to that girl again, and they're going to bust out laughing. <laughs> so this is where clickishness goes wrong. While she is doing your nails, how many of you guys have been in a nail shop, and it's become so radical in there, they stop giving you good service and start communicating with each other? And watch this. And when you complain about something on your toes, they say, no, 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 your toes are crooked. It's crooked, toe, crooked. <laughs> so consumed with my in-group that I'm no longer giving you good service because that's what's happening in this church. There's an unconscious bias within the church that has turned into clickishness. So I had to, I had to add, and we, we've, been on this, we've been on this for a couple of weeks now. We've been talking about racism, classism, prejudice, now clickishness, because it can be bad. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, this can turn bad. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out, what's the answer? What's the solution? Because I don't want this church to be like that. Because there can be a clickishness. Watch this, watch this. Okay, Brother Jeff, he's a white brother, I'm a black brother, there can be a clickishness amongst Hebraic, black, Hellenistic, white. There could be a clickishness amongst brothers and amongst the sisters. There can be a clickishness amongst old members, new members. There can be a clickishness amongst senior saints and the younger saints. Come on, you know what it's like when you first got saved and you were around a bunch of senior saints and they made you remember that you just got saved. <laughs> so Sister MacArthur, I'm asking God, what's the Okay, it's good to highlight this. It's good to talk about it. But what's the solution to it? And this is what God gave me. It's right there in the text. 
In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Here is the answer. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So this is what God says. <laughs> God says you have people amongst your church who are saved but just not spirit filled. They go into heaven but they ain't full of me. And because they're not, b before we explain what it means to be spirit filled, this is what it looks like when you're not. You're selfish, you're self-centered, you're only self-aware self-motivated self energy comes from within not from him self-dependent self-directed you say stuff like my life girl this is my job I don't know what I'm going to do with my job I don't know what I'm going to do with my career I don't know what I'm going to do with my education you, you become self selfish and when you lack the empowerment of the spirit this is what you also lack you lack power you generally don't have peace, really don't have joy. And looking on the outside, nobody can tell that you lack peace. And the reason they can't tell is because you kind of go through the motion and sometimes you use external substances to give you temporary pleasure. It could be weed, it could be the next party, it could be the high of a new relationship. It can be all types of highs that get you up, but, but, but the law of gravity is still in effect even there. If it ain't Jesus that's taking you up, whatever is taking you up going to bring you back down. Without the enablement of the Spirit of God, you can't love right. You can do emotional stuff. Married couples, you can sex them, but the reality is you can have sex without love. You're trying to be, you're trying to be faithful to God and faithful to your assignment without the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. There's no godly wisdom outside of the Holy Spirit being endued and empowered by him. Is anybody with me in this place? God speaks to him and he says, you have people who are saved, but they lack my power. Let me show you in the text, Acts 9, because this was the, this was the, the solution, this was the key. He says, we have a problem of discrimination. We have a problem of this click, uh, uh, clickishness within the church. Let's find men who are full of the spirit of God. Spirit feeling has a way of changing the character of the person. And there's certain unconscious biases that you have within you that the Holy Spirit overrides those because you've yielded your life to him to fill you with his breath and with his power. So what would be hard to do within my own strength now becomes easy to do because I'm not the engine of my life anymore. I'm not the motor. I'm allowing God to drive. I'm allowing God to empower me. 
So the scripture teaches that Acts chapter number 19, verses number one, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some, somebody shout disciples. Disciples, so these were followers of Jesus. These are people who heard the message of Jesus. They repented from their sins. They are saved and they actually have been baptized. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We know the message of Jesus. But this empowering work, this Pentecostal experience, this, this Acts 2 experience, we haven't had that. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? We, we, we were baptized, John's baptism. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and they what, y'all? Acts 8 and 14 says, when the apostle in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they heard the message of the resurrected Savior. These are believers. They sent Peter and John to Samaria when the apostle, uh, when they arrived, they prayed for the, somebody shout, new believers. These, these brothers, they, they say, because, because watch this, at the point of salvation, at the point of salvation, there is a work of the spirit that is done in your heart. And that's my security for heaven. That's my security for glory. That is my security that when I close my eyes for the final time, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Can you say amen to that? But there is another work called the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for heaven. It's for service on the earth. When th they arrive, they pray for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oftentimes the scripture will equate baptism with, with uh, salvation because in this particular day, as soon as you were saved, you were baptized. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy, the Holy Spirit. They began to walk in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, before I dive deeper, let me highlight three errors when it comes to the Spirit of God being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Number one, <laughs> and, and for the next couple of weeks, we're making a transition because if being spirit-filled is the key to overcoming this inward prejudice, classism, racism, this in-group bias in my heart, I believe we need to focus on this for a second. And this is always a controversial, sometimes a, a funny subject to talk about because there are so many misnomers that's associated with being spirit-filled. So if I, if I be spirit-filled, do, do I have to slobber at the mouth and, and act all out of control or whatever? Do I need to go, do, does that mean I'm gonna hurt myself and go to the ER? And I've seen, I've seen people go to the emergency room in the name of being filled with the Holy Spirit. How you break your arm, the Holy Ghost took control. <laughs> well, you know what? I don't want that Holy Ghost. I want the one that I can receive and I'm, and I'm not hurt after I'm receiving it. So we're going to deal with some of those things in the next coming week. But three errors. Number one is what's known as cessationism. Cessationism is the belief that I see what happened in the text, but it doesn't happen anymore. That's what cessationism is. The problem with cessationism, the scripture never says that. 
The Bible never says that these things will never happen again. It never says that tongues and prophecy will never happen again. No, it continues to happen even to this present day. The next thing is equating spirit filling with salvation, equating spirit filled. There are some that say you're not even saved until you are full of the spirit of God. No, God separates these two works because salvation is about you getting right with him. It's about you. It's about your heavenly interest, whereas spirit filling, again, is about your assignment being empowered for you to operate on the earth. The third error when it comes to teaching on spirit filling, and this was one of my problems growing up, is that spirit filling I was taught that it was a one-time experience, and this is why so many of my Pentecostal friends, they got filled with the Spirit on fire for God, spoke in tongues, prophesied, but a year later, drier than a desert. Because they said that I, I got it, and that was always the question. You got it yet? I got it. And when you, st- when you got it, you stop seeking, you stop tarrying, you stop praying, Because the elders told you all you needed to do was get it, but the error is it's not a one-time experience. It's actually an ongoing experience. Let me show you in the text, man. In Acts chapter number 2, verses number 1 and 2, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. It filled, it filled all the house where they were sitting. Verse 3 and 4 teaches that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled in Acts chapter number 2. But when you jump down to Acts chapter number 4, verse number 31, by the way, these are the same group of believers. These are the same disciples that just got filled in chapter number 2. The Bible declares, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. What's, the, what's up with that? How is it you got filled in chapter number two, and you can filled again in chapter number four? Here it is, man. Uh, the Bible declares that Jesus is walking within a crowd of people, and he stops and he asks the question, who touched me? And the disciples are looking at him like, Jesus, what's up with you, man? We're in, we in a crowd of people. KJV says that they are thronging you. People are all around you, pushing you. What do you mean who touched you? He says, no, somebody touched me because I felt virtue leave my body. In the Greek, that word virtue means power. Acts teaches when you receive the Holy Ghost, you shall receive power. He said, I felt a touch because when somebody touched me, I was drained of energy. So in Acts chapter number 2, they get filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter number 3, they go out and they begin to witness. And guess what happens when you do work for the Lord? You are drained of energy. I am the tiredest out of all the week on Sunday evenings. And I do a lot of work. I'm more, laugh, I'm more tired on Sunday evenings than I am after leg day. After I don't put a barbell on my back and squatted it. That's tiring. But on a Sunday evening, I am literally drained. Why? Because this is more than just physical energy. There's, there is virtue that is leaving my body because I'm making impartation into the lives of God's people. So they go out and they minister. They go out and witness. And by the way, by the way, anything that you do that serves God causes you to leak energy. So if you're being a faithful husband, you're leaking energy. If you're being a faithful wife, a faithful mother, you are leaking energy. If you're walking in integrity on your job and being a light, you are leaking energy. And there comes a place where you will think you will need a vacation because you're just tired. But the reality is you might not need a vacation. You might need to be filled with his spirit. Yeah. 
Let me show you in that text. Oh, this is so good, man. Woo! Ephesians chapter number one, verses number one. Paul writes and he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus. He said, somebody shout the saints. The saints. So these are believers. These are people that are already saved. He, he goes to the end of the chapter, chapter number five, verses number 18, and he says, and be not drunk with wine wherein excess, but what do I want the believers to be, y'all? I want them to be filled. If he's writing this, he's saying in essence, you are saved. You do love Jesus, but you're lacking in your service because you don't have the power on the inside of you to carry out what it is that God wants you to do. So how is it? God, help me in this place. Tell you another re reason I know me and my dad, we clickish. Because I told y'all about the uncle that told me when I was nine years old, boy, don't mess with white women. They'll smile in your face and stab you in your back. That's what, that what, that what my uncle told me. But you know what? After church, I told y'all about the uncle. But after church, I told my dad who the uncle was. <laughs> and we both laughed. <laughs> so how is it? I can hear this all of my life. Don't fool with white women. Don't date white women. <laughs> Don't look at white women. How is it I can hear, hear that, but yet now show love to somebody? You smiling at me. <laughs> reason I'm able to overcome some of the prejudices of my past, the reason I'm able to better love people even sometimes when they are unlovely is because the power that I do it in is not of myself it is of God so you can be saved and heaven bound but not filled with the spirit you can be filled with the spirit spoken tongue but you have leaked through your service and need a refill and here it is 20 years later. You still got a testimony about the time when you was on the altar and you spoke in tongues. But that was 20 years ago. And right now you're religious now. You're dead, you're dry. And instead of drawing people to Christ, you're actually pushing everybody away. Because you hinge, you hinge your power on something that happened 20 years ago. And you dry and you need a fresh wind in your life. Somebody shall feel me, God. I want to I wanna deal with this for the next couple of weeks. I want to talk about the, some of the craziness. Can, can you be filled with the Spirit without speaking in tongues? Yeah, you can. We saw that these guys, they spoke the word more boldly. But here's the question. Um, you can be married without kissing your bride, but why? You know why I get that question? It's because there's so many things, so many negative perspectives that comes along with speaking in tongues. And, and God, God, wants, God wants to give this, this precious gift to you called the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, watch this, watch this. I don't have the gift of teaching. I don't. I don't have the gift of discernment. I don't have the gift of wisdom. I don't have the gift of, of tongues, interpretation. I don't have that gift. You know what I have? I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because I have the gift of the Holy Spirit, he manifests whatever he gifts, whatever gifts he wants to manifest when it's necessary. How is it I'm in the hospital and I got to believe God because this particular mother has something going on in her body and I want, I want God to heal her. Well, let me pick up the phone and call somebody that has the gift of healing. Well, they're busy. So you mean to tell me mother going to die because you don't have the gift of healing? No, you got the gift of the Holy Spirit that carries the gift of healing. So if I need that gift to manifest because I have him, I got all of them. 
But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, getting these three errors, cessationism, no, he's still filling people today. There's still people speaking in tongues to, today. Still people prophesying today. I was one of the ones initially when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I actually didn't speak in tongues, but I could see through muddy water on a cloudy day. I could tell you what you ate last night in your bedroom that you had no business eating. Man, I could see so clearly when I got filled. And what was crazy, they made me tarry more because I didn't speak in tongues. But I could tell you what was getting ready to happen before it happened. Because initially, he did, later he manifested tongues, but initially, initially it wasn't tongues, it was prophecy. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom was crazy upon my life. These are errors that we're going to debunk, and it's going to be such a blessing because this is what God wants to do. God wants you to be filled without being spooky. He wants you to be filled without you being weird. Because, watch this, in the mall, I said, ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh, ooh. This doesn't attract nobody to Jesus. It make me say, whatever you got. <laughs> but it feels so good. No, you, you keep feeling good. I'm going to stick with my weed. Come on, somebody. It's good stuff, man. This is good stuff. So, Pastor, how do you do this, man? How, how do I have this experience? How do I have this experience? We've made it much harder than what it actually is. Here, number one, number one, you have to choose to remove all barriers. You have to make this choice to remove all barriers in your life. Number two, you have to actually ask for the gift because God is not going to rape you even with the blessing. I'll give it to you if you ask for it. Number two, you receive it. Somebody shout by faith. You receive it by faith. Number three, you release your prayer language. You release, oh, oh hold, hold on, Pastor. I thought, you thought, I thought you said that that tongues is a spiritual gift. It is a spiritual gift, but watch this, so is faith. I, do, I really do not have, the gift of faith is something that rarely manifests in my life. Some of my mentors, for sure, they, got the, they believe God for crazy stuff that I be looking like, oh, I can't see it. And even when, they did, when it manifests, I couldn't believe it gift of faith is not mine, but watch this, just because I don't have the gift of faith, does that mean I do not have faith? No, I need faith as well. You might not necessarily have the gift of tongues, but all of us can have the prayer language whereby we communicate with God in the spirit realm. What, what, does, what does speaking in tongues, what does praying in tongues really do? See, when I pray in English, my, my understanding, this Bible declares, is limited. You tell me what's wrong with you, and I try to think of things to say to God, but, but watch this, watch this. Ooh, this is so good. When I pray in tongues, it bypasses my intellect, my limited intellect, and I tap right directly into the Spirit of God and begin to minister and allow him to minister back to me. God wants to fill you with his Spirit. But as a church today, I think we need to start with number one. We need to start with number one. This is what God told me. He says, there are people within your congregation that have things in their lives that I've already told them to remove. And they're asking me for, give, give me a vessel. Give me, give me something. Give me something. You want God to fill you when you're already full. You 
you full of disobedience? You, you full of unforgiveness? You full of bitterness? And God says, I want you to remove all barriers. I want you to empty yourself out. Pour yourself out. I can feel this vessel. That felt so good, I want to do it again. Already told, I already told you, leave her alone. I told you to leave him alone. You want me to feel, feel you, and you oh, 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 oh. Well, God, I did, I did stop that, but it's not enough for me to feel you. Because if I feel you, I don't want to be mixed with nothing else. Why are you bringing me cups, man? I want bottles. Give me bottles. I need water. I need water. Give me some water. Give me some water. That was fun, y'all. I want to do it again. God says, I want to feel you. Ooh, that's why I can't feel you, because you got guards up. <laughs> it's some stuff that you holding on to. It ain't that you just full of it. You just, man, you so lucky. He brought me a big old home, just right here. <laughs> you got stuff you just full of. And I want you to empty yourself out. I want you, I want you and you're right to stay away because people don't need mess that come at you. This is God, I repent. God, I'm, more than I'm sorry, I'm going to do what you told me to do because the only way I can receive is, number one, I've got to empty myself of stuff that you've already told me to get rid of. God want to fill you with power in this place. God wants to fill you with wisdom. God wants to give you insight. God wants to give you his Holy Spirit so you can live a maximum impactful life. First, it starts with you. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, there are just a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted your life in any way and you'd love to help us to continue to impact the lives of others, go to our website, empowerthecity.org and select Give Now. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. We'll see you next time.